Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Good morning, you guys. Welcome to Hope Church. How are you? Good, good. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. We're, um, we're kind of wrapping up our four-part series this morning um, called Real Purpose. And I'm going to start this morning by doing something a little bit differently. We, we normally we have kind of a set order to these things that we do and kind of a structure that we follow. But I'm going to do it a little bit differently, uh, if that's okay with you guys. Um, I, I want to just read you this verse. Um, this comes from Matthew. Now, we're actually reading from the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 21 today. If you brought your Bibles, you can turn there if you want. We're going to go there in just a minute. But I wanted to read you this verse to just give context to uh, what we're talking about today and what we're allowing the Lord to do in us and what we're experiencing today. So this is Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. This is real early in the ministry of Jesus. And um, this, is the, this is the calling of uh, Peter and Andrew and John and James. And I just wanted us to have this in mind before we even begin talking about the the things we're going to talk about today. All right, so this is John chapter 4, verse 18. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, uh, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Now this John is the author of the Gospel of John that we're going to be reading today. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. So when we read these Gospel accounts, these stories of Jesus... One of the things that we see that he does again and again when he walked the earth is that he offers people a new kind of purpose for their lives. That's what he does. And uh, reading this, kind of going back and reading some of these stories of Jesus doing this with people, it made me think about my dad this week. Um, if, you, um, if you don't know my dad, my parents, uh, they lived in this area uh, for a long time. They, um, they retired and moved to... Uh, Oregon, and they live in Central Oregon today. And but when my dad was working, he worked for the railroad. It was the Southern Pacific, and then it became the Union Pacific. And he was an engineer, which means he drove the train, and uh, he did that for for many years. That's how he made his living uh, until he retired. Um, and he had a lot of great stories. I mean, he would come home and tell me these. Re- I mean, when I was a kid, it was really exciting to have a dad that drove a train, and he would tell. I mean, there was a one time when he ran over. Uh, a sheriff's police a police car, you know, he just cut the thing right in half. Nobody was in it, but he t- he explained that part last in the story, which is great, you know. It's um, ran over a police car today. Was, oh my gosh, you know, are you going to jail? Um, and uh, you know, so he had all these great stories of mostly stuff he hit. Actually, most of the stories are just stuff he hit with the train. Uh, really, there was this uh, there was this one time though when he derailed. Uh, so he drove a, tr- a freight train. I don't know if I made that clear, but uh, this wasn't a, wasn't a passenger train. He, he drove a freight train, and um, he derailed a train one time in Aptos, actually not far from uh, where Coastlands is. Um, the tracks run by the church in Aptos, and he 
Yeah, do you guys know where the, the tracks are in Aptos where they run kind of parallel to the ocean for a little bit there? So yeah, it runs through a lot of people's backyards, basically, right? Um, uh, and he, he derailed the train there. And it had over 30 cars when he derailed it, which means that this thing was uh, just short of half a mile long. It was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,600 tons, if you can imagine that, that amount of weight. Um, and yeah, the, the whole thing came off the tracks tumbled over, these cars went all over the place. If you can kind of picture the rails along there, there's a lot of eucalyptus trees and a lot of like ravines, right? Um, and these, you know, so these, it was a mess, it was a giant mess. And it was, and they were there for weeks as they, you know, they were cleaning up, it was a big deal. My dad came home from that day, a little early, and he came home and he, this is how he told my mom that he, he derailed an entire freight train. He came home and he told my dad, uh, my mom, he said, I laid the train down today, <laughs> which is how any normal person would say, I dropped my sandwich today. That's just, that's my dad, you know, he's just not very excitable. I laid the train down today. Here's the thing. Oh, by the way, I called him and, or I texted with him. I asked him a couple of these details just to refresh my memory. And he asked me specifically to tell you that him and his whole crew were drug tested that day and they passed with flying colors. So <laughs> that had nothing to do with it. He, he asked me specifically to say that. So. Uh, here's the thing is, is trains, they don't, I don't know if you know this, but they don't, they don't steer. They, they follow the tracks, right? When I was, when I was young, probably too young, maybe seven or eight years old, maybe younger, I don't know. My, I just have this memory of my dad uh, sneaking me onto a train one time and letting me ride around the yard in Pajaro with him. And um, it was really cool, very exciting, very scary. I mean, for, you know, it's huge and loud and and I remember being in the cab and go, looking, he's showing me all the controls. This goes faster and slower. And I was like, where's the steering wheel? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what he was thinking, but it was probably something like, this kid's not going to college. You know what I mean? It's like, because <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I, I didn't know, like, that it, you know, there was no, you don't go right or left. You follow the tracks, right? That's how a train works. You follow the tracks. And I think, um, you know, the tracks determine where the train goes. And I think sometimes, so I opened by saying, Jesus offers purpose to people, right? I think, I think sometimes when we hear the word purpose, what we imagine is something closer to like destiny or something, right? That, that, that what Jesus is offering us is this kind of like predetermined story if we would just step into it. And if we mess it up, we somehow step out of that story. You know what I'm talking about? That's, that's not purpose. That's, that's destiny. And as, as, you know, as Christians, when we read, a natural reading of the Bible would not lead us to believe that there's this necessary or personal destiny. In other words, there's a role for our free will, our choices in the story of our lives as it unfolds. Now, even if there are, is a general ending to the universe kind of mapped out by God, it, it appears that way. He talks about it like, that, like that's the case. Uh, it's not predetermined how we're going to arrive there. We make choices as we go. And uh, but, but Jesus is offering us something called purpose. So if it's not just a predetermined roadmap, what, what is purpose exactly? Well, I was thinking about this, and I thought maybe a better way to describe this purpose is more like blueprints. You know, I worked for one summer in the office of an architect. <clears throat> it quickly uh, became apparent that wasn't the career for me. But, um, but one of my jobs was basically an errand boy, and I would go, this was back before uh, digital printing, and, and I would go to this blueprint shop and, and come back, and the blueprints would be literally hot off the press. They had this smell 
like a mimeograph smell, if you're old enough to remember what that would smell like. And I'd, I'd get them, and they would literally be hot in my hands. I'd pick them up, and it's like, ooh, oh, gosh, wrap them in paper, and I'd put them in my car and drive back. And by the time I got there, the whole car would smell like that ink smell of blueprints. But I remember unrolling these things, and it would, you know, it gave you a sense that whatever was, was being portrayed in these blueprints was designed. There was a, a design. Now, that doesn't mean the builder had to follow the design, but if he did, it would come out better, right? And I think that's, that's partly how purpose works for us. What Jesus is offering us is a glimpse at the design. He, he has a design for us. And, but I think, you know, as, as I talk with people, and, and you probably have experienced this too, as we talk with one another and you share life with people, what you find is that people have an experience that, where it feels like their sense of purpose has sometimes been disrupted or broken. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, 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 they had, like their life felt maybe ordered, like things were in the right place, and then something happened to disrupt or, or make that sense of purpose feel broken. Um, some examples of that from recent history are, you know, uh, when the economy tanked and after 2008, and a lot of people lost their jobs and their savings and their homes, right? Um, more recently during the pandemic, it just it felt like, uh, did you ever feel like during, during the last three years, like, it shouldn't be like this? You know what I mean? You ever feel like that? Like, this, this can't be how it was designed to be. Or, you know, broken relationships. Or even, you know, I've talked with people just this week. I talked with someone who's had a lot of hurt just in their history with church, just being, you know, in different churches. And, and, and that sense that there, there might have been some kind of purpose or design, but somehow it was broken or disrupted for them. Can you think of a time like that for yourself, you know, when, when you felt like there was, there was good things in your life and, and it was just upended? We're going um, to look at the last conversation in the Gospel of John today uh, between Jesus and some of his followers. This is after the resurrection, and we're going to see a moment like this um, for one of his followers. So if, you, if you've been with us, then you kind of know where we've been, but if not, I just want to give you a brief recap. So on Easter, we began this conversation talking about real purpose, and, and our focus was what we were considering as a church community was the conversations and interactions that Jesus had with his followers after the resurrection. There were several. It began with Mary Magdalene in the garden, uh, and then there's the disciples in the upper room, and then a week later, there was you guys talked about Thomas last week, right, in, here, and, and I was over at the Coastlands, and I shared the same thing, uh, Thomas's interaction with Jesus, where he kind of restores him and... and um, and affirms him, and, and today what we're going to do is we're going to look at one last conversation between Jesus and his really good friend, Peter, okay? So if, you're, if you have your Bible open and you want to read with us, uh, you're welcome to. This is John chapter 1, verse 1, uh, sorry, J John chapter 21, verse 1, and I'm going to have up, up on the screen as well, just so we can kind of get a visual together um, of these words, and I'm just going to talk us through this story, um, and we're going to just kind of take our time and see, see what Jesus has to say to us here. So it begins like this. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Now, <clears throat> it says afterward. After what? After the first two appearances, right, in the upper room, Jesus appeared to the, uh, 10 of his disciples and, and some others, and then he appeared to 11 because Thomas was there the second time. And then sometime later, it says, Jesus appeared again to his disciples now, by the Sea of Galilee. Now, where is that? Where, where is the Sea of Galilee in relationship to where they were? Uh, so, 
just geographically speaking, the, the first two appearances were in Jerusalem, in the upper room, right? In, in Jerusalem. And the Sea of Galilee, if, if you were to go there on foot, it would take you seven or eight hours. It's a day's journey. It's between 17 and 20 miles, depending on how you walk it. Um, were they supposed to be there? Why, why were they there? You know, if you, it, it doesn't record this in John's gospel, but if you jump over and you look at Luke's gospel, there's a, there's a conversation that Jesus has in that upper room that we heard about last week, where he says, you are the witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you um, what my father has promised, but check this out. He says, but stay in the city. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. In other words, I've got kind of a design here, guys. I'm not letting you in on the whole thing, but there's power coming. I can't just explain it to you. You're going to have to experience it. And we know from the first chapter of Acts that this, this power comes, right? It's the Holy Spirit. But he says, he says, I don't want you to go anywhere. Stay, stay in the city. Stay close by and wait. And what do they do? They take off. <laughs> they go to the Sea of Galilee. It says, it happened this way. Simon Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel and the sons of Zebedee. Who were the sons of Zebedee? We, we, John and James, right? We read, that. we read that just a minute ago. And a couple other disciples, they were all together. And Peter said, I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, and they said, check this out. They said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. I'm going out to fish. We'll go with you. <clears throat> I think it's, I think we have to be cautious as if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got, you've got something inside you. You've got, uh, you've got the light of the world inside of you. And when we make choices in the world and they're good ones, it can inspire people to draw closer to that same Jesus. Um, when we operate outside of his design, it also inspires people, not in a good way. I'm going out to fish. I'm returning to what I know because I'm frustrated. And his friend said, we'll go too, right? Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them. I love this cheeky thing that he says. He says, friends, haven't you any fish? <laughs> no, they answered. I don't know why it's in an English accent when he says it for me. Haven't you any fish? I, I don't know. <clears throat> no, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Is this starting to sound familiar? Does this sound familiar? When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Jesus, right here, is, I mean, if this was a modern-day thing, we would call this performance art. He's, he's an engineer, a recreation of the moment where he first called these guys. Check out the crew that's there. You got Peter, you got James and John, right? It doesn't say Andrew, but I assume he's probably one of those other guys, right? They were brothers. And they're fishing. They haven't caught anything. They're right back at the start, before, right, right where they were before Jesus came and called them. And he does the same thing. Cast your net on the other side of the boat. Every detail is in place. You know, when Jesus first called Peter, there was a miracle. 
It was the, the first miracle that we know of that Peter saw, and that was that all of these fish just swam, swam into the net. And Peter's response to that miracle is recorded in Luke. He says, um, he, it says, he fell down at Jesus' feet and he cries out, Lord, go away from me for I'm a sinful man. That was his response to meeting his Savior, right? Let's see what he does the second time. It says, then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter. Now, this is John, of course. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And John likes to weave into the story little things about himself. And this is one of them. Uh, a few weeks ago, we heard that John wove into the story the detail that him and Peter were racing to the tomb, but he got there first. He said it twice, right? Because that disciple was faster. We get you, John. We get you. We hear you. Check this out. He says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his arm, uh, outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and, and he jumped into the water. So this is John reminding us, I knew it was him first. <laughs> and he says, It is the Lord. And Peter's response is to jump out of the boat. This is not the first time Peter's jumped out of a boat, is it? Right? And he wades to shore, and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore. In fact, uh, they were only about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with, with fish on it already and some bread. And Jesus said to them, why don't you bring some of the fish that you've caught? And so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. You know, there's a lot of, when you read a lot of like Bible commentaries, you'll hear all these like little side speculations about things. There's a lot of speculation about the number 153 here. Um, Some people, there's some historians that believe 153 was the known number of species of fish at that time. possibly representing, you know, uh, all the different people groups of the, of the world. Um, if, you, uh, if you look for the square root of three, uh, you find 153 in your result, uh, which also describes the shape of two circles converging and forming the shape of a fish. Um, it's a mathematical formula someone discovered uh, 1,800 years ago. Um, I don't know about any of that. All I know is that I, I've been fishing, I've been around a lot of fishermen, and we exaggerate a lot. Like, we kind of lie a lot, like, about fish. And it's just something that you exaggerate about. And John, to make sure that we knew he wasn't exaggerating when he said a lot of fish, he says, I counted them. And there was 153, okay? I took the time. It was a lot of fish. It was a genuine miracle. You don't catch 153 fish just 100 yards from shore. I'm just, just saying. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Let's sit down. Let's eat together. It's one of those kind of moments. None of the disciples dared ask him, who, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them. This is, you know, it, it, this, this probably takes place somewhere between 10 days and less than two weeks, you know, after uh, the Last Supper where he broke bread once before, Right? But now the hands that are breaking this bread are scarred 
from the, the cost that they paid for these men. And he shares this bread with them. He says this was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, there's a conversation that's about to take place. And if you've been going to church for any amount of time, you're, you're probably familiar with it. It's a very familiar conversation from the Gospels. But I think in order to feel the weight of the conversation and what's actually taking place here, we have to jump back. We have to do a little flashback. You know, you ever watch a good movie or a show where, where they tell the story in a particular way and then they flash back to something to let you know what's the significance of what's happening? We're going to do that for just a second, okay? This, this text is not up on the screen. I just want to read this to you. This actually takes place the, the night before the crucifixion. Okay, There was the Last Supper. There's the betrayal in the garden. Jesus is being pulled before the high priest. It's, um, it's looking bad. It's looking bleak for the followers of Jesus. And this is in John chapter 18. I'm just going to jump back and read this to you so we can feel the weight of the conversation that's about to take place. It says, Simon Peter and another disciple. Who's, who's the other disciple? We think it's John, right? This is how he describes himself. Anonymously. Simon Peter, and we think John, were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. So John is once again letting us know, I had kind of an in with some people. I knew some people. Peter didn't. He totally didn't know anyone, but I knew these people. So once I was in, I, I came back and let him in. Okay? I got his hand stamped as well, you know? And, and it says, the, um, yeah, it says the, they let Peter in as well. And it says, this servant girl said to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. And he replied, I am not. Now, Jesus had predicted this would happen. He, he told Peter, he said, before the rooster crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no way, that would never happen. I would never do that. Here's the first one. Weren't you one of these disciples? He says, I am not. It was cold and the servants and the officials stood around a fire that they had made to keep warm. And Peter also was standing there with them, warming himself. And meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, aren't you one of his disciples? You're, you're one of them too, right? And he denied it a second time. He said, I am not. Now, you've probably heard this before, but the Gospel of John is very different than the other three, what we call synoptic Gospels. There's several things about John that make it different. But one of them is that John weaves in these different themes. And he, one of them is the number seven. So there's, there's seven particular miracles that he shows that are not found in other places. And in particular, there's seven I am statements, we call them, where Jesus says about himself, I am, uh, for example, I am the bread of life. And these statements about himself are him telling people that, that he is the access, the doorway between humans and God. That's what he's saying. He says, I am, is what Jesus says. In, in Greek, it's ego, I me. I am the bread of life. When Peter denies Jesus, he takes that same phrase and he attaches a negative particle, auk, I am not. 
is the inverse. He's, he's denying Jesus by using the same phrase that, that Jesus uses to affirm that he is the, the doorway between humans and God. And it's like Peter is, is closing that door. He's shutting the door on himself. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man who's, just check this out. This is, this is like the cousin of the guy who, uh, whose ear Peter cut off in the garden, challenges him. And he says, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Dude, you cut off my cousin's ear. That was an hour ago. Like, I saw you there. And Peter denies it. And of course, right at that moment, the rooster begins to crow. Okay, so feel the weight of that. Peter's own words, right? The fulfillment of the worst kind of prophecy. You'll deny me three times. That happened. Imagine for a second, just imagine for a second the worst thing that you've ever done. I don't want you to like live there in that moment, but, but just, just imagine, just for a second, imagine the worst thing that you've ever done. Or maybe it was the worst thing that someone has done to you. And imagine that thing was written into the Bible. That's, that's Peter's experience. That's what's happening right now as we read this. All right, let's jump back to the present, okay? So, so remember, Jesus said, come and sit with me. Let's have breakfast. Let's talk. Let's talk. Did Jesus know that these things took place? Of course he did, right? When we approach Jesus, when we approach him, let's remember that when we approach him, he knows all the stuff that we're going to say, right? He knows all the stuff. He's just waiting for us to bring it to him. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. It's interesting that he says here, do you, because he could have said, do you love me? Which he does in a minute. He's going to say that. He said, do you love me more than these? Who's, who's these? Who, who are the other guys there? Who else is there? Yeah, the other disciples. John is there. John. So as we know, John just witnessed Peter's worst moment. The worst thing in his life. And Jesus says, do you love me more than that guy? Knowing full well that John can hear what's being said. He's, he's trying to show Peter something, and he's not ready to see it yet. He said, it's like saying, do you think you're better than this guy? Right? Let's talk about it. Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs then. And again, he asks him, Second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, remember three denials, right? So three questions. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him this the third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you this. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which 
Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Remember I said that John's gospel is different than the others. John's gospel was also written very, very late. Um, late in John's life, likely when all of the other um, apostles were dead, and um, including Peter. So John had knowledge of Peter's um, martyrdom when he wrote this gospel. He knew how Peter died. And church history tells us that Peter was crucified. And going to the cross, he said, I, I'm not worthy to die the way that he did. And so they, they hung him upside down instead. He said, when you're old, you're going to go somewhere else and you're going to stretch out your hands, right? And lead you where you do not want to go. And then he said, follow me. So here's what rises to the surface when I read these stories, when I, when I let, let them do what they're meant to do in my own heart and my mind as I draw this conclusion that submission to his plan or his design is actually where we find our purpose. You know, we want, we want a good design because it's good for us. All right, we want our life to have purpose and meaning so that we'll flourish. But true purpose for our life actually comes when we bend the knee to his lordship, when we submit to his plan, when we take a look at the blueprint and go, okay, I see it. There's a lot of sacrifice there, and in the end, I die. Okay, let's do it. Welcome to Christianity. It's a lot of that, and in the end, you die. <laughs> I wanted to, what I wanted to do for you is isolate the words of Jesus and see what it is that he's doing on the beach here. He's accomplishing something in his words, and so I had Dustin just kind of isolate these words uh, by themselves so we could look at them. Um, the first thing he does when he comes onto the beach, do you remember, is he says, friends, haven't you any fish? Right? This is the one that we hear in an English accent for some reason. Haven't you any fish? It's a little, a little cheeky, but what he's doing is he's leading us. This is, this is how he drew us to himself, and this is how we're meant to now draw others to him. You begin by asking a question. How are things working out? Have you ever talked with someone about their life and asked them questions? How are things working out for you? And then he, then he tells them something that they can do. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. This is, this is his, him showing us how to interact with people. How can I help you right now where you're at? How can I help you? We're meant to offer practical, real help to people right where, right where they're at. And then he says, bring some fish. Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Now, remember it said that he's sitting there, he's already got a fire, he's got bread, and he's got his own fish. What does he need their fish for? Do you think his fish was better than their fish? <laughs> I don't know. I, where did he get the fish? You know, it's Jesus' fish. It's probably amazing, right? It's the best fish you've ever had. But he still says, bring your fish. This is him. He's, he's offering us opportunity for partnership. He says, bring what you have, and we're going to put it together with, with what I have, and we're going to do something amazing with it. That's pretty radical, you guys, when you think about it, because 
the God of the universe represented in human flesh in Jesus. He could have done it like this. He could have said, everything I do is awesome and everything you do is so meager. Just do the things that I do. Just take what I have. End of discussion. That could be, that could be a way to do that, right? Here's what he does do. Let's take what you have and let's take what I have and let's put it together. And let's see what comes, comes about because of it. It's partnership. And then he says, let's come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. Let's share a meal together. He invites us into relationship. Are we inviting people into relationship with Jesus by inviting them into relationship with us? When was the last time you had breakfast with someone that that has yet to find a relationship with Jesus. And then he asks a question. I imagine for this part he was standing. And for some reason in my mind's eye, I imagine he's standing really close to Peter. He leans in. And maybe Peter can smell the, the fish and the maybe there's a little olive oil and rosemary, you know, on his breath from breakfast. And he's just, you know, fill in the details. He's just, he's standing and he's close to you. And he says, he leans in to Peter's face, and he's leaning into our face this morning. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? And by doing that, if we, if we looked down, what we'd see is that he's drawing a line in the sand with his foot. He's drawing a line. Do you love me? Do you? Then he says, he tells us how to step over that line. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Take care of people. Watch over people. Protect people. Look out for people. That's how we step over the line. He, he draws a line. Do you love me? Let me show you how to step across. And then he says, follow me. Follow me. Christianity is not merely spiritual self-improvement. If you go to a Barnes & Nobles, what you find is books on a shelf in a section called uh, self-improvement or self-help. And then right next to it, you see Christian living as if they're the same thing. That's a terrible understanding of what Christianity is. It's not spiritual self-improvement. Do we improve spiritually along the way? Yeah, absolutely we do. Is that the point? No. No. Jesus tells Peter what the point is. If you love me, do something about it. And along the way, you're going to have to give up a lot. In fact, in the end, you're going to stretch out your hands and you're going to give up everything. And that's what it means to follow me. That's radical. That's radical. The call to follow Jesus is a radical one. It will upend your life. It may even cost your life. Welcome to truly following Jesus. You get to give up everything, and then you die. <laughs> it's good. It's good. But I'm telling you right now, I'm 45. I've been doing it for... 40 years, and I would never go back. I would never go back. Because I can imagine my life without him, and I don't want that. One last thing. One last thing. I don't have this up on the screen, but there's one more conversation, just a line that Peter has with Jesus, and I love this one. Um, after, after he says, follow me, Peter follows. They follow. They start walking away, but then Peter says, he turns and he looks back and he says, it says, Peter turned and saw that disciple whom Jesus loved that was also following. Who's this? Yeah. He turns and he looks at John 
And John reinforces it. He said, this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? In other words, I, just to reinforce it, I, I'm the one that's really close to Jesus, right? I sat next to him at the dinner. And Peter looks back at him. Check this out. This is so us. When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? What about him? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to follow you. I, I love you, and I'm going to feed your sheep, and I'm willing to give it all. I'm going to sacrifice my life. Definitely. What about, what about them? What about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Follow me. He said, if I wanted to make him immortal, what is that to you? Follow me. We, we get nowhere when we compare our struggle to the struggle in the lives of others. We get nowhere. Follow him. Follow him. Here's what we're going to do. I want to um, I want to uh, wrap up together today by worshiping, but also exercising something. We're going to we're going to ask ourselves this question right here: um, What have we held on to that God has already Himself let go of? In other words, what what kind of things are we forgiven from? But, but that we've been holding on to anyway, that we've been carrying. See, I think Jesus forgave Peter for denying him three times when he told him that it was going to happen. That wasn't condemnation. That was forgiveness. Hey, this is going to happen. It's going to happen. You're going to fail. But I'm going to meet you on the other side, right? But there's things that we hold on to, aren't there? I said earlier, imagine the worst thing that you've ever done or the worst thing that's been done to you. That thing probably comes real quick in your mind like it does for me. That's because we still, there's a part of us that wants to hold on to that thing. And maybe, maybe there is a process where we grieve that thing, but then let it go. Let it go. Do it on the way to the feet of Jesus. Like Peter jumping out of the boat. Don't stay in the boat grieving. That boat's going nowhere. Get out of the boat. Go to him. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to ask ourselves that question. In fact, we're going to do it in prayer together. Uh, but I also want you, I want you to ask yourself another question. As you, when you go out of this space today, will you remember this question? Who am I going to have breakfast on the beach with today? Who am I going to invite into this partnership this week? Who am I going to reach out to? And maybe a face or a name doesn't, immediately pop in your mind, pray that the Holy Spirit puts one there this week. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways to, you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.